book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes 3. Do you remember last week the Ecclesiastes prophecies, Ecclesiastical prophecies? We called it, this is part 2. And let's read just a few verses from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We did look quite a bit into Ecclesiastes chapter 1, but we're going to kick off from chapter 3. And we're going to look through uh, a lot of the Old Testament into the New, and we're going to match it up for you and show you how the thread runs right through. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Now, if you remember last week, we looked at the claim as it seems to be from chapter 1 of Solomon's divine right what we call Solomon's divine right. He is the preacher, the Kohileth, if you remember, the convener, one to convey the word. And then he is the son of David. And then also we looked at his divine right to be king in Jerusalem. We looked at the struggles of the apostle Paul and likewise how Paul wrote through a lot of his uh, sermons, or pardon me, a lot of his letters he wrote, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. And again, you know, we looked at Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God. And Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but of Jesus Christ. And then we looked at, he wrote in First Timothy 1 and 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. And the reason being is that Paul was counted as one that, that was not of the apostles of the Lamb, but of the risen Lord, the ascended Lord. And so he was looked down upon and in many ways because he persecuted the church. And here it's as though he's saying, look, I'm, I have a divine right, called by divine right in the apostleship that I'm in. And looking back to Solomon, he starts in Ecclesiastes 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. It's as though he's telling us right from the very beginning because remember, he was the tenth son of David. He wasn't even the first, second, or third. He was the tenth son of David. And so other sons were, were before him, and then they all started to, be, to die one reason or another. Absalom was before him, and of course Absalom then died also. But he had to struggle, and he had to fight to claim place. And we know there was a, a struggle for his kingship. And it's as though here he's saying, I'm the king in Jerusalem. I am son of David. 
Remember, his struggle was that he's a son of David with Bathsheba, which would have been frowned upon and looked upon. So he's claiming his sonship through David, claiming his divine right through David by the Lord to sit on the throne, and his divine right to be the kohilath or the preacher to convene or convey the word of God to the people. So we look at that in depth, and we're going to go straight to where we ended up and left off last week, because I don't want to spend any more time on that. But you know, if you remember, First Chronicles 29 and verse 23, we mentioned that Solomon sat upon the throne of the Lord. Not just any throne, it was the throne of the Lord. So now let's look at uh, Ecclesiastes 3, and let's look at verses 2 and 3. There's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. Now we're going to look and we're going to reverse away back in history in a minute. We're going to look back and have the run up to Solomon and then past Solomon and these things happening in the land of Canaan. So we know that Solomon, as we established David's son, the preacher, the king, we established that, and because of this now, we can look at what happened after Solomon's reign. And it's imminent, really, where it happens. Solomon's reign, there's a prophetic word given to Solomon, and then we're told it's not going to happen in your reign, Solomon, but it's going to happen in your son's reign, who was Rehoboam, and we'll look at that in a moment. So stay with me. Here's where we finished up last week. A time to pluck up that which is planted. And if you notice... There were seven nations in Canaan land when Israel, remember they married Jehovah, Yahweh, in Exodus chapter 10, or pardon me, Exodus chapter 19, and they, he carried them, as it were, like the bride into the Canaan land. But he had to pluck up things that were planted there. And there are seven nations that are mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 7, you can read. We mentioned it last week. And those are the nations that were plucked up. So it was time for them to be plucked up and something else to be planted. It's like if you get a piece of ground and you have to take all the rubbish out of it. Everything, old weeds that are there, they're not good plants. So you pull up all the weeds out of the ground and you cultivate it. So God was doing that in the land. But Israel, if you remember, we finished where Israel is likened onto a vine and a fig. Also in other places, as an olive tree. That would take another study, but we're going to look at the vine briefly, then the fig tree mostly, and then we'll see where we finish up with that. First of all, Psalm 80 and verse 8. This is where we finished up last week. Psalm 80 and verse 8. So this is what it says, For thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. You see that? So he's speaking about them being carried over like Yahweh's bride, being carried over into Canaan land. So you've brought a vine out. That is Israel out of Egypt's captivity. Now they're carried into the Canaan land and cast out the heathen. Time to pull up that which is planted there. And so then we think of the vine being Israel. And then I looked at other things briefly. For example, in Matthew chapter 2, If you want to go to it, Matthew chapter 2, and we're just going to pick out a verse or two here. 
Okay, Matthew 2 and verse, let's do verse 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek to the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Notice here, Christ is fulfilling again that which God did to Israel, or for Israel. They were in Egypt, and he brought them out. He called them out, and he brought them into Canaan land. Here, Jesus is now brought into Egypt like them, and brought, it, brought back out again when Herod had died. And the reason we want to look at this so much is because, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 2, please. Jeremiah chapter 2. I'm going to try and fit it on a timeline if I'm able to do it for you a little later. Jeremiah chapter 2. So we're going back in history. And that's where I run down, please, to verse 20. Jeremiah 2, verse 20. For of old time I have broken thy yoke and burst thy bonds, bonds, and thou saidest, I will not transgress, when upon every high hill and under every green tree thou wanderest, playing the harlot. Now I notice Israel is Yahweh's wife here. They are Yahweh's wife. At this point, we're jumping ahead of where we're going to go further back again, because Israel's been separated into two kingdoms. One kingdom is mainly taken away, and now it's really to the southern kingdom of Judah. But he's speaking about them all. We'll look at it in a second. Notice. You've turned up, you're playing the heart at spiritual idolatry and adultery. Yet, notice, I planted thee a noble vine. Underline that. Israel was a vine and a noble vine at that. A holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy, in other words, it's like a righteous seed. A holy, a right seed. How then art thou turned into a degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? In other words, you're turning into something that I don't know, I don't recognize. You're my Israel people, but you've turned into something. And it means, actually the term there, degenerate, gives the idea to fully turn away from. They fully turned away from the Lord. Notice what he says, For though thou wash thee with nitre, and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me saith the Lord. In other words, you can't get rid of your sin. How do we get rid of our sin but have to be washed in the blood of the Lamb? So this is all pointing and figuratively waiting for the coming of Messiah, coming of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So notice here, we have a, a noble vine and then a degenerate plant. The term there for a noble vine, or if you want the word there for a noble vine, is the word sorak. S-O-R-A-K in English rendering. Sorak, and it means, or gives the idea of a vine that yields deep red or purple grapes. In other words, it's very fruitful, and it's, it, it shows good fruit. It yields good fruit. So the word sorak is a noble vine, and it turns into this degenerate plant. So we're going to go further back in history for a minute. If you'll go back with me then to Genesis chapter 49. Away back to the book of beginnings. 
to Genesis 49. We're getting closer to the, the very start of the use of these terms. Genesis chapter 49. Verse 1, And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you. When does it say? In the last days. Isn't that strange? We're in the last days, yet this is going to be happening in the last days. This is what the people, Israel, will be like in the last day. But we must understand here and take our minds away from what you think of the the Israelite state. Because this is bigger than this. This is what God's people will be like. Notice then he starts to give his blessings upon his sons. Now notice this. Let your eye run down for time's sake to verse 9. Comes to the tribe of Judah and he says, Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey. My son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched down as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? Notice this. This is important. Underline this. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Write that down. That comes the idea of a kingship. And there are no kings here. In fact, they're just a tribal faction at this point. They're only tribes. They're, they're, they're men who have family, family tribes. They aren't even a nation at this point. And yet, uh, the, 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 the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, notice, and unto him, Unto him from Judah, unto Shiloh, this lawgiver. Notice, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now tell me if this sounds familiar. Binding his foal unto the vine, and his ass's colt to the choice vine. What was it that Jesus went into Jerusalem on that day when they waved the palm leaves and cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, save, oh, save, it means. Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. He was on an ass's coat. And so we find here, this is way, way before this. Notice, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Notice that. So the, the, the deep uh, blood, the deep red or purple And and scripture, purple really speaks of royalty, but the deep redness speaks of blood. And when Christ comes years later, what is it that he says? This cup is a new covenant in my blood. And it's a cup of wine, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This was the new covenant. Now notice this here. It says here, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. In God bringing this into fulfillment, in part this started to happen when King David came on the throne because they hadn't got a king. Remember? And they asked for a king and they got Saul and he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Here it says he'll be from Judah. So Saul couldn't have been the king. He was the people's choice. But God's choice was David. God's choice was from Judah. And we find here that God is saying to them, the prophecy of this leadership will come through Judah, through the line of David. And to him shall the gathering of the people be. So in part, the kingship or this line was 
fulfilled in David. But it wasn't until from David 1,600 years later that Christ came to fulfill the prophecies. But note this. He came as a lamb. He was always a king. But he humbled himself. And he came as a lamb. Turn to Luke chapter 1, please. Luke chapter 1. So Christ comes. He comes to die for us. But Christ is set on and Yes, he's ascended into heaven. He's rose, risen from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. And he's enthroned, as it were, in heaven. The place of uh, power and authority at the right hand of the majesty on high, the right hand of the Father. But note this. The scriptures tell us his throne has to be enduring upon the earth. Notice Luke chapter 1, verse, for time's sake, verse 31. This is what the angel says to Mary. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus or Yahshua. Notice, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Notice that. He's going to give him the throne of David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob, that's all the twelve tribes, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So there's an earthly throne in existence that's perpetual, that still has to be set upon. And Christ is coming back. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. So he will step out again from the glory And he will come down, his footstool is an earthly throne, and he will sit upon it. His feet shall land upon the Mount of Olives on the east side of the city of Jerusalem, and he shall enter in the eastern gate. Okay, so all of this, this part that we're all now has to happen yet. But the throne had to be there. The the throne of David, the throne of the Lord, the throne of continual perpetuality. I believe that Queen Elizabeth II is sitting on it. And that she will hand the rule and the rights over, if she's alive, to Christ and whoever else after that. Because the scripture says, I will overturn, overturn, overturn the throne. And it came from, the, from Palestine or Jerusalem to Ireland, uh, Sorry, to Ireland, to Scotland, to England. And the kingdom was united in King James the Sixth of Scotland, King James I of England. So this throne has to be in the... If it, if it isn't, there's no other throne that, that, that supports all the scripture. God has let the, him, himself down. His word has not come to pass. And he says in, in other scriptures, I said, I'll have to t- teach on it another time. He says, if there's the stars in the sky, if there's the sun, the moon day and night, and the seasons, he says, then you be aware that there is still the throne of David in the earth. It has to be. Now, note this. So this uh, Genesis 49 prophecy, we find that Israel is a choice vine. It's the same word, sorak. It's a noble vine. The sorak, noble vine and choice vine are the same words. And it brings forth the blessing. 
And so we find that Christ will come again and sit upon the throne. Okay, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 5, please. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 1. Now note the language here because we're going to use this language a little further on. Note this. Isaiah 5 and verse 1. And now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my well-beloved touching his vineyard. Notice a vineyard is where we have vines. Isn't that right? Notice my beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. This is where the choice or noble vine was. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein and he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. What happened here? This is Isaiah through the Spirit saying, God planted a a choice noble vine here, which was Israel, cast all the others out and gave them this land. This land is now by divine right, like Solomon and Paul's divine right. This is Israel's divine right. And now he's saying in this part of it, he's saying, I'm going to sing songs about this because my well-beloved have planted a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. Notice God fenced it and gathered out the stones, planted it with choices vine, built a tower. You know what that tower stands for? The house of David. That's the throne room, the throne line, the house of David. He built a tower in it, and he also made a wine press therein. And here we find again, this is to do with the spiritual connotations of it. Here he's going to, he's built, he built, eventually they built the, not only the tabernacle in the wilderness, but here they built the temple. And so this is where all of these things are now taking the parabolic form. Notice this, and she brought forth grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes, and they turned sinful. They turned wayward. Go with me to the book of Hosea, and if you have a problem, find Hosea, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, that's where you'll find it. The book of Hosea, Hosea is a prophet mainly to what we're going to look at in a moment, the northern kingdom of Israel. And being a prophet to them, we have to understand now the vine starts to be look more toward the northern kingdom and the fig tree starts to become known as the house of Judah. We're going to look at it in a moment. But look at Hosea chapter 10, verse 1, please. Notice the state that the house of Israel are in first. Israel is an empty vine. Notice, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased the altars. According to the goodness of his land, they have made goodly images. Their heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty. He shall break down their altars. He shall spoil their images. For now they shall say, we have no king because we feared not the Lord. Then what, what then should a king do to us? This is the northern kingdom that the prophet is speaking to, that the Lord is speaking to through the prophet. And this choice or noble vine has become a degenerate plant. It's now an empty vine, full of sin, full of idolatry, full of spiritual adultery. So whenever we look again at John chapter 15 and verse 1, 
What is it that we find our Lord Jesus Christ says? Sometimes people think, well, it's just nice because they knew there were vines there. And it was, no, this is why he's saying this. He knows this because he's God who sent the prophets. He's the word. He's eternal. He's the son of God. And so he knows all of this and he knows what's happened. Notice what he says. I am the true vine. Isn't that what he says? Uh, John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. What is Jesus saying? The choice noble vine that became a degenerate plant called Israel or the house of Israel. The choice noble vine that became an empty vine. He says, sinful and idolatrous and away from God and turned their back on him. He says, I came to live the life, brothers and sisters, that you and I couldn't live. To keep the law that you and I failed in and couldn't keep. He says, so I am the true vine, the true Israelite. In other words, I came to do what they couldn't. I came to fulfill it all. And so what does he do then? He's also shedding his blood, the blood of the grape that we might be washed from our sins. Okay. Let's go back to Jeremiah 24. That's the vine in a, in a nutshell. You could do a night or two on that in itself. But that's why Christ is saying that. Some people is again say, well, Jesus must be saying this because it was just about the vineyards and they knew this. No, it was to do with what has happened right through the scriptures. Let's go to Jeremiah, please, chapter 24. Now we're going to look at the fig tree. Jeremiah chapter 24. Verse 1 says, The Lord showed me, and behold, two baskets of figs were set before the temple of the Lord after that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah with the carpenters and smiths from Jerusalem and brought them to Babylon. One basket had very good figs, even like the figs that are first ripe. And the other basket had very naughty figs, which could not be eaten. They were so bad. Then said the Lord unto me, What sayest thou, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs, the good figs, very good. And the evil, very evil, that cannot be eaten. They are so evil. Again, the word of the Lord came on to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. For I will set mine eyes upon them for good and will bring them again to this land. This is talking about when Nebuchadnezzar came and carried away Judah, or it says the Jews carried them away into Babylon for 70 years. God said at this point, I'm going to bring them back again. Notice, and I will bring them into this land and I will build them and not pull them down. This is very likened to the language of Ecclesiastes 3, to build and to plant. And I will plant them and not pluck them up and I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. As And as the evil figs which cannot be eaten, they are so evil, surely thus saith the Lord, notice, so will I give Zedekiah the king of Judah and his princes and the residue of Jerusalem that remain in this land and them that dwell in the land of Egypt. What he's saying is there's good figs and there's bad figs. Judah are now bad figs. This is the kingdom of Judah. Are now bad figs or good figs. Hence we had those who are carried away early. God even said to Jeremiah, listen, this 
this wicked uh, Nebuchadnezzar's armies and government are coming, go with them. Don't fight against them. And those who obeyed the Lord, he says, trust me to bring you back again to where you worship. Trust me to bring you back to this land. Those who actually went with them, he called them the good figs, even though they were going into captivity. We'd be saying, Lord, this is not for you. We're going to I now decree in the name of the Lord, all the charismatics would be saying and all this sort of stuff. But the Lord says, I'm wanting you to go out. And you'll be there 70 years, and I'll bring you back. You need to trust me. And it's then you'll read in Daniel chapter 9, he's praying for Israel, who are near, far, that are still in Jerusalem, and that are in the countries where they're scattered. And he's praying for them at this point. And what's he doing? Reading the book of Jeremiah. And this is when he realizes 70 years are up. 70 years up, as the Lord said. And so the Lord starts to bring his word into fruition. And God, you see, raises up people at times when it's time. They realize the word of the Lord, and they say, Lord, your word says it. We believe it. So we're going to pray into this, and God starts to bring it to pass. So notice this. Verse 1, two baskets of figs. Verse 2, one basket, very good, and the other basket are naughty figs, or evil figs. And the word naughty there is the word ra, and it means bad, disagreeable, displeasing malignantly evil figs. That's what they became like to God. Now, turn with me to Luke 13. We're going to bring it into the New Testament a bit more for you now. So, there, Judah, the southern kingdom, the house of Israel are gone, way captive, never return again. Turn with me to Luke 13. And that's where I run down, just for time's sake, to verse 6. The Lord Jesus has now come out of Judah. You can see Herod's temple and all is there at this point. He's, this is before, obviously, his crucifixion. Verse 6 says, He spake also this parable. Notice, a certain man had a fig tree. So if I stop there now, because I want you thinking when you're reading and studying for yourself. Fig tree, what, what's a fig tree? Why would he talk about a fig tree? Because that's the people, the nation that he's talking about now, you see? That's why. He says, A certain man had a fig tree planted, there's the words again, in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. What happened? He thought it should be the time to get some fruit, and it was only showing leaves. There was no fruit. Verse 7, Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years come I seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none, cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And answering, and he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I dig it, dig about it, and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, after that thou shalt cut it down. Notice verse 10, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. So this fig tree represented Jewry, J-E-W-R-Y, the Jews. He's in their synagogue, and he starts talking about a fig tree. Why? Because they know what that means. We're only after reading about this. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned in the garden and God came and they hid themselves. And what did they cover themselves with? They clothe themselves with fig leaves. Fig leaves. And see, this is what's known as fig leaf or fig tree religion. It's about external works of man. And it comes right through the scripture. And notice here he's saying this man had a fig tree planted in a vineyard. What's the vineyard? 
It's the house of Israel. It's in Israel, isn't it? So here we have Israel, but in general now, in the land that God had gave them, which is actually bigger than the Israelite state you see today, by the way. We take up Jordan and part of Iraq and right into Iran and take further. So it's actually much bigger than that. That's Abraham's land I'm speaking of that he gave him. But here we're looking at this now and he's saying, see this vineyard here. This vineyard, he planted a fig tree and it seems, seems daft. Why would you put a, a fig tree in a vineyard? Because they're like two different peoples come out of it. I'm going to show you that in a moment. And he's saying, the man is, uh, the fig tree's been there for three years, and he comes seeking fruit on it. And he says, these three years, if you let your eye run down, uh, verse 7, the dresser says, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cometh it to the ground? And then he says, let it alone this year. One more year. Now, here's the thing. What Jesus is saying is this. I have been here, ministering here, in this vineyard where this fig tree is, where Jury is, and says, and I've been ministering here at this point for three years. This is Christ speaking of himself. I've been here ministering to you for three years. And by right, God has every right to cut you down as a tree, as a nation. But he's saying in God's grace and mercy, he's saying, let it go one more year. And in the midst of that year, as it's spoken of in Daniel, he's what? He's cut off, but not for himself. He's crucified. So in the fourth year, in the middle of it, there's no fruit. For example, go to chapter 20 of Luke, please. And verse 9. Chapter 20 and verse 9. Then began he to speak to the people. Now he's talking to the people. He's in the synagogue and the leaders would have been there of the synagogue. A certain man planted a vineyard and that a fourth to his husband men and went into a far country a long time. Now he's talking about his resurrection ascension into heaven. And at the season he sent, his, uh, sent a servant to the husband men and they should give him fruit of the vineyard. But the husband men beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent another servant and they beat him also and entreated him shamefully, and they sent him away empty. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also, and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, What shall I do? Behold, I will, I will send my beloved son. It may be that they will reverence him when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir, come let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard, and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. So what he's saying is here, through all the prophets, the Old Testament, God had sent prophet after prophet. And how they had dealt with the prophets, then he says, what will they do with this people? They'll reverence my son. So he sends his son. And it says of the son, in verse 14, But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, This is the heir, come let us kill him, so that the, the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. In other words, when you read in the book of Hebrews, and you read of the crucifixion of Christ, they took him outside the city walls, and they crucified him. And see how all this all fits together now? when we bring it from the Old Testament in. 
Verse 16, he shall come and destroy these husbandmen. This happened in AD 70, by the way. One million, one million Jews died or were taken captive. One million. So then he says in verse 17, then he beheld them and says, what is, it, what is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. So in other words, you fall in Christ and you're broken and forgiven. Or he falls in you in the judgment day and you're crushed to powder. Chapter 21 for a moment, please. I'm trying to keep this all quite close for us tonight. And verse 12. Chapter 21. Pardon me, verse 29. Sorry. Verse 29. He's speaking in his day of the future. And he spake unto them a parable. Notice. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. So who's he speaking of here? Judah. Isn't that right? Behold, the fig tree, or jury, I should say, and all the trees. So if the tree is a nation, all the trees are other nations. When they shall now shoot forth, you see and know yourselves that summer is nigh at hand. So likewise, when you shall see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is nigh. Verily, I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Now there are those who call themselves preterists and a preterist uh, believes that all was fulfilled in AD 70 including this and it's all done and full preterists as they're known, they say that Christ came back again in AD 70 and he's not really coming back again, we're just to keep going until the earth's changed and gets better. It is a, it is a Jesuitry at its best. In other words, the Roman Catholic Church had the Jesuits and its Jesuitry at its best. And this, now looking forward, we see the fig tree came into bloom again, but it's no fruit on it, national fruit. In 1948. What's all the other trees? Well, I think of communism, the Soviet bloc that broke up. They were all into the USSR. And you had all those nations all broke up and all became nationhood all around the same time. Many broke up around into North Africa. And even some like Jordan. You know, you hear of Jordan, any trouble in Jordan. France are always aligned to it. Because after the Palestinian uh, declarations, what you had was France took some, Russia took some, pardon me, America took some, and Britain took some. And what they done, they took the mandate and split the whole area up between them. And they governed them all. For example, Saddam Hussein and Iraq never existed before 1935, I think, if my memory's right, 36. It was known as Persia in the Tehran. Saddam Hussein was then a puppet who was put as in a king or leader was put in there by the United States. I and mean, now we see that deep state working everywhere. And what you see is proxy wars. So as time goes on, you had Iran, the Iraq war in the 80s. You had Iraq supported by the United States. They put him in there. And you had, of course, then you had Iran, who were supported by Russia. And Russia and America were fighting. Only they weren't killing their own people. They were killing proxy through 
the Iranians and the Iraqis. It was terrible. This is deep state stuff that people don't realize is happening. It's happening again with Saudi Arabia and Iran as well. They're starting to do that there. So it's happening around the peninsula of the Suez Canal. And right up to this date, do you know that the Suez Canal, they're starting to send warships down to it right at this minute? And Ezekiel tells us that the ships of Tarshish shall go around there and build up. 220 billion has been announced to be ploughed into mainly uh, the, the, the navy in Great Britain. The merchants of Tarshish are coming to say, aren't they come to take us, boy? They're going to be fighting and warring all over the world. So people are, are fighting wars that's not their own, but deep state and elitism are starting to use them like pawns to move them about. And what happens is, the like of the Rothschilds, the Bilderbergers, and the Goldman Sachs, and all those Jewish bankers, and all those sort of people, they fund a war. First of all, they wonder, how can we start a war? Then they fund this side, and then they fund that side. You know, you hear, oh, we're going to have to borrow so many billion. Off who? It's off these bankers. And they're funding this side, they're funding that side, and everybody's dying in the middle And they're rubbing their hands because of trillions upon trillions in the bank. It can never run out of money. And so now what they've done was when when uh, Saddam Hussein in Iraq, when he was was looking to get rid of the petrodollar, and he was starting to turn around to the euro, which again is more deep state control, which is all, uh, if you want, funded again by by all of those Bilderbergers and, and on all of that elitist group, and the Rothschilds and so on, what he was doing, he was starting to look to someone else. And so America says, this guy needs to go. And what did they do? Weapons of mass destruction. And Britain and America went in and fought an unjust war and killed people there for nothing but control. It's all the, all the government, all the governments, most of the governments that you see are puppets. They're being told what to do. They're being told how to do it and when to do it. So the Lord shows us here the kingdom of Israel that, and he shows us then the separation before we close this because I want to go somewhere else. Go back to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. And you know, while you're looking up, maybe you remember when the Lord was getting in this last week before he was crucified, you remember he's going into Jerusalem and he saw the fig tree and he goes over to take fruit of it and he finds none. This is like the man in the parable. He finds no fruit on it after these three and a half years, isn't it? And what he does was he curses it and the next day it's withered up. Isn't that right? Well, that was representing jury. That was representing the Jews that were there. That the, He says, no fruit grow on you from henceforth even forever. And here's the thing nationally, even today, they can't bring forth fruit. They can't do it. You know why? Not only are they dead in their sin, because Christ says, no fruit ever grow in you again. That doesn't mean say individual people can't be saved. But as a national entity, they can't. So when we look at King, 1 Kings 11, please, and verse 1, notice this, but King Solomon Love many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, 
of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you, for surely they shall turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon clave unto these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. Turned turn more to his heart. Turned his head, probably. But <laughs> think of all the mother-in-laws you'd have. <laughs> Mine's not here. I can say that. Don't you tell her, also. <laughs> Notice here, all of these women, for example, the Moabites and the Ammonites, no, do you know who their father was? Their father was Lot. But they were born out of an, uh, an incestuous relationship with their daddy. The daughters, this is where their people come from. The Lord says, you're not to bring them in here. Then, of course, we know the Egyptians. Edom was from Esau, who gave up his, his birthright. And the Lord says, none of these, you've, you've not to bring any of these around. You, you're not to have any relationship with these. And Solomon was marrying them. He was marrying them. So the word here for strange, by the way, strange woman is the word nakri, and it means foreign, known Israelitish, Hebraic woman. He says, you have to stick to your own here and keep the faith. Do you know what's wrong with Britain today? It's because everybody and his dog has come in and brought their gods with them. That's what's happened to our nation. Everybody and their dog has come in and brought their gods with them. And it's turned the heart of our politicians. And it's turned the heart of, of even the, the very leaders of the churches. And it's all to be politically correct, to say nothing against any of them in case you offend them. And the thing is, now they're flooding into our nation. Our cities, as it were, prophesied are nearly burned with fire, only one for a different word. And people are down on the street because of it, and everybody's mamby pambing, pondering around them so they don't offend them. You know what they've done? They've turned everybody's heart away from God. Chapter 2, Solomon clave unto them in love. He clave. It gives the idea of a hand gripping a sword, but it's in fight. And sometimes after the fight, you had to praise it out of their hands because their hand had went into a cramp. They couldn't get the sword out of the hand. It's the idea he clave unto them rather than cleaving unto the Lord. And remember last week how we told that, that Solomon loved the Lord. Remember it was all beautiful last week. This is what happened. So then whenever we run through, I would advise you to read this chapter, but you'll find this in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 about Solomon's sin. We've read a little bit about it. And verse 9 says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. And you and I would think, well, if God appeared unto me twice, my heart would never be turned. Really? God could appear to us here now, and we could live in the glory of that for some for five minutes and some for five years, but with all our hearts would turn again. Verse 11. Notice, remember, Ecclesiastes 3 about rending? Let's go. Verse 7 of Ecclesiastes 3, the Lord says, I will rend, I will tear. Now, notice this. I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, he says to Solomon, and I will give it to thy servant. That's Jeroboam. Verse 12, notwithstanding in thy days, I will not do it for, for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. So he's talking to, he's talking here to Solomon, and he's saying, I won't rend it out of your hand for your father's sake, but your son Rehoboam, I'm going to rend it out of his, his hand. And notice it says, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake, 
and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. Okay, so here's what happens, and you can read chapters 11 and chapter 12. Here's the splitting of the kingdom. So because of the sin, Ahijah the prophet comes, and he takes off a coat off Jeroboam, who was Solomon's understudy, if you want. He was a, he was a great fellow, this man. You know, he, was, he was good in battle, and he was put over certain parts of Israel, and, and he takes it off him, and he rents it into 12 pieces, and he gives him 10 pieces, and he says, I'm going to give you, the Lord will give you, Jeroboam, 10 tribes. And he says, here's two pieces left. One is Judah, and the other one turns out to be Benjamin. So David is the Judahite one, and Benjamin is the one he says, I'll give to David. And he's called, I'll give it to be a light before you always. I haven't time, because time's gone. A light before you always. And so those two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, make up the southern kingdom. The ten tribes make up the northern kingdom. And what happens is they start fighting and warring against each other. And the first time you'll hear the word Jews, J-E-W-S in the plural, is in 2 Kings chapter 16 and verse 6. And Israel, Israel are actually fighting the Jews. People say, well, I thought they were all the same. Not anymore. No, they're not. That's the first time you'll read of the word Jews there. So then they fight with each other, and then they become, through the, through the scriptures, they're known as two sisters, two sticks. They have two kings, two cities, which is Samaria. You'll hear, uh, you'll hear prophecies of Samaria. That's the capital city of the northern kingdom. Um, the two cities, Samaria and Jerusalem. And in the, new, in the new covenant, they also become known as two sons. The rich man and Lazarus is actually based on these two kingdoms. That's a whole story in itself. So the rich man was a southern kingdom of the Jews. And they had the the Torah and they had the temple and they had the sacrifices and all. And the poor man, Lazarus, was outside of that looking in. That was the northern kingdom at the time. And Jesus is liking this to this. Here's something for you. Do you go to heaven because you're good? Do you go to heaven because you're rich? No, no. Well, how come Lazarus was meant to go to heaven because he's good? He didn't. We can use that as an illustration, but that's not the, the full application of this. It was the northern kingdom then scattered away. He was carried away. And what happens? Jesus comes and the gospel goes out after them and they get saved as they're hearing the word of God. And yet in jury, the fig tree, the vine starts getting saved. The fig tree, what's happened to them? They reject Christ. They come on to his own and his own received them not. That is the Judaites. And so they are, the unbelievers are in a fire. A fiery furnace of uh, trouble right through it all the years. Persecution and so forth. For example, the, the two sons, the prodigal son, I talked about it in an evangelical sense on Sunday night at the, at the drive-in. The prodigal son, he goes into the far country. That's the northern kingdom when Jesus is at. That's the literal translation of that. They're carried away into the northern kingdom. They're among the, the pigs or the, the, the abominable animals of the swine and they're there and they've spent all their inheritance. And, but there was the, the older brother at home. And 
when Christ dies and the gospel goes out after them, they start getting saved and the older brother's getting jealous. See, that's what we need. That's what, what's happening. We're, we're making others jealous because of the salvations by grace through faith. And when we come home, as it were, saved to the father's house, the elder brother comes and says, hey, what's all this going on? We, we, we've been the people. We claim to follow you. That's the idea of that parable. And it comes from these chapters. These two chapters. So whenever you find this, you're going to find, here's one, and we'll finish with this. Two sisters, just quickly. Ezekiel 23, or two daughters, whatever you want to put it. Ezekiel 23, and we'll get down to a time of prayer. Ezekiel 23. First one, the word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, there were two women, the two daughters of one mother. Okay, two women or two daughters of one mother. And they committed whoredoms in Egypt. They committed whoredoms in their youth. There were their teeth pressed, and there they bruised the teeth of their virginity. And the names of them were Ahala, the elder, and Ahaliba, her sister. And they were mine, and they bare sons and daughters. Now notice, thus were their names Samaria is Ahala. What did I say? Samaria is the capital city of the house of Israel, the northern kingdom. Isn't that right? Samaria is Ahala, and Jerusalem is Ahalibah. And Ahala played the harlot when she, when she, past tense, was mine. And she doted on her lovers, the Assyrians, her neighbors. Okay? So, I have time to read on down here. Let me give you an idea of what this means. Ahala. Okay? Ahala and Ahalibah are these two daughters or two sisters of one mother. In other words, these are the two kingdoms. By this time of Ezekiel, one kingdom, the northern kingdom, are taken away the Assyrians and they're gone because of their sin. She was, he says, past tense. So Ahala, the northern kingdom, is taken away and gone. The southern kingdom, Ahalibah, is carried into Babylon. And that's the kingdom of Judah that we've been speaking about. But notice what the names mean. Ahala means she hath her own tent. She hath her own tent. Do you know what that means? He's saying she went and brought other lovers. That is spiritually other gods in to the nation. She brought other lovers in to her tent. And so he divorces the word is used in the Bible, God divorced the house of Israel. But he never in the scripture divorced the house of Judah. Never once. So he says, she has her own tent, and she's now gone. She was mine. She's no longer mine. So that's Ahala, Samaria, the northern kingdom. Ahalibah was Jerusalem. They're taken away captive into Babylon, but God never divorced them. He never divorced them. And they're taken into Babylon. And Ezekiel is in Babylon writing this. And God is saying, Ahalibah. So Ahala means she hath her own tent. Ahalibah means my tent is in her. That's what it means. So they had the temple. They had the sacrifice. They had the Torah. They had the priesthood. They had the prophets still coming to them. 
and saying, my tent's in her, but she went and played the heart of those. So in fact, the scriptures go on to say she'd done worse than the northern kingdom, but he still kept her. So these two kingdoms now, how does God remarry according to his law when Israel is divorced? He keeps the law that we can't keep, and what does he do? He dies. You see it? That's why they have to be in Christ. He dies. That's why you and I have to be in Christ. Think of the laws we've all broken, and he's hard to keep them. Never mind that. So he dies in the person of his son to be re-betrothed to his bride. Does that make sense to you, son? So, I'd love to do more. That's an overview. I hope it wasn't too much. I have it all in my head, but it's an overview of it. And it's one of those things that, if you can see it, if you can see it, it's powerful. And so, whenever we read of things like Christ comes and he says that he is, we are reconciled back to God. This is the mindset. We're lost in our sin. We're all lost in our sin and he comes and he pays the debt and he dies that we can be all married into the bride, brought back in and redeemed. Read Ecclesiastes 3 and 7. It talks about rending and putting together. That's where that little prophecy would come into. May God bless you as I see.